This is day 194 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Mark chapters 6 through 10. It's a long reading, but it is the words of Jesus Christ, so it is definitely worth it. Lord Jesus, as we enter into your presence this morning, please help guide us as we understand the truth that's in here. Lord, there's so much wisdom and so much revelation here that we cannot even scratch the surface in this short time we have. But Lord, may it challenge us to study your word intently for days, for weeks, for months, for years, to dissect and tear apart your word, to understand every piece. Please grant us the wisdom and the determination to do that today. Please bless the reading of your word at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his own relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages, teaching. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, Stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Then they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And King Herod heard of it. For his name had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, He is Elijah. And others were saying, He is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. 
A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend two hundred denarii on bread, and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five, and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve basketful of the broken pieces, and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, 
for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genezaret, and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, and ran about that whole country, and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick, to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages, or cities, or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces, and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem, and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightfully did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or his mother, Whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. After he had called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, 
Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed with the demon having left. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, 
and started serving them to his disciples to serve to them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About four thousand were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread, and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, Twelve. When I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, Seven. And he was saying to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees, walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Jesus went out, along with his disciples, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter 
and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, but they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them any more except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does first come and restore all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O oh, unbelieving generation, 
How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples, and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward, to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. 
If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go to hell, into the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, what will you do to make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, 
Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, that is not mine to give, for it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. 
But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Didn't it feel like we just read all of this already? Well, again, this is the Synoptic Gospels. So if you notice that Mark's stories are very similar to Matthew's, However, he has some details in here that are not included in Matthew, so it's very interesting reading them side by side. So I'm overall not going to go through a breakdown of every chapter, because for the most part, they're all exactly the same as Matthew. However, there were a couple of stories that were a little bit different, as well as some very insightful things that we need to take away from for today. The very first thing that comes to mind when I'm reading this is if we go to Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, I can't help but think this is the modern-day church. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Isn't that the truth? We so often sacrifice God's word for whatever's going on in the modern day era. He continues on in verse 9. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Aren't we so good at that? Aren't we so good at molding and manipulating the situation to try to force it into a hole it doesn't belong in? We are so good at doing that, aren't we? Not only as an individual, but also as a group of people. So often you see in the media today, so many situations where they're just forcing the narrative in a specific direction. And we're so good at manipulating things and framing it in such a way in order to deceive. And that's exactly what's going on here. 
But what happens if we do this? What happens if we do compromise God's word for trying to be tolerant or trying to be accepting or seeker sensitive? Well, it says here that in verse 13, you invalidate the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down and you do many things such as that. That is disgusting, right? We invalidate the Word of God. We render it completely pointless and useless. Not because we have the power to negate what God has done, but what we will be teaching is empty teaching. The Word of God cannot be modified. It is beyond us. It is from a world beyond ours. And we have no power or authority or right to touch it. All we have to do is obey it. Know what it says and obey it. It should be that simple, but we lack that understanding because we are so stubborn, so hard-hearted. All we seem to care about is ourselves. We are our favorite God. That's why the church struggles so much. And unfortunately, a lot of it is out of ignorance because your average Christian doesn't read their dang Bible. So, of course, they don't know what God wants because they don't read the Bible. They don't pray. So how are you supposed to defend your faith if you have no idea what you stand for? That's where we're at. Here's another big one. We go to chapter 8, go to verse 36. This part, beginning, will sound very familiar from Matthew, but the rest of it is very important, we have to keep in mind. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever, and this is the part we need to focus on, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Well, I read the book of Mark, and I don't really agree with what Jesus is saying. Really? Okay. So you're ashamed of what Jesus stands for. Well, Jesus says that there's only male and female, and it's been like that since the beginning, and he's just being a bigot. Okay, so you're ashamed of him. I think Jesus is really mean. I think I don't think it's fair that some people get saved and some don't. So you're ashamed of him. Do you see the pattern? Anytime that we disagree and are not liking what we read in the Bible, we think we have the audacity to differ on these things. There are some things that are open for interpretation, no doubt. But there are some things like this that are core, essential doctrine. You have to believe that the Bible is infallible. It is without error, and it is the ultimate authority in our mortality. We judge everything by the Word of God. Above the doctrine of men, above our own personal laws that we have for ourselves, our preferences, governments, all those things submit to the Bible, or at least they should. 
Because here's the reality. If we don't like who Jesus is at face value, and we admit that we are ashamed of him, he is going to be ashamed of us when he returns. And that means you're not going to heaven. Because you do not accept him for who he is. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means you fully accept his words and treat them as if they are truth, because they are. we got to be very careful with that. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be deceived that the times are changing and the Bible is archaic and no longer applies. That is a falsehood that you need to get out of your head now. Now, what we read here at the beginning of chapter 9 was in Matthew as well, but let me clarify. It says that some of those who are standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So he's declaring that someone in this crowd that he is speaking to at that time is not going to die until they see the second coming of Christ. So does that mean that someone who is in that crowd is now immortal? Or is there something more to it than that? Because if we take it very literally, that means somebody is not going to die until Jesus returns. So that means that person has not aged or has not died in 2,000 years. Is this how we should reconcile the scripture? No, because bear in mind one book of the Bible, the final book, the book of Revelation. It showed everything that's going to happen in the future when Jesus returns. There's a whole chapter about what he looks like and what he does when he comes back as the ultimate commander. That man is John, the apostle John, the disciple John. He lives to see the end. He gets to watch a preview of what's going to happen in the future. And that is the fulfillment of what Jesus is saying here. John got to see the apocalypse of Jesus Christ in Armageddon, and his second coming. He did not taste death until he saw the Savior come back on his white horse and ready to conquer. Now, in the middle of chapter 9, we see the same story about the father that brings their demon-possessed son, and the demon is very aggressive and very difficult to cast out. If you remember what we talked about in Matthew, That last portion was in brackets that said that this one can only come out with prayer and fasting. But this part is not in brackets. But it's only half of what it said. In verse 29, he says, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. doesn't say anything about fasting. So perhaps that's why they added that little addendum to Matthew, because they read Mark's gospel, and it made sense to put that in in Matthew's, but even then, it doesn't say anything about fasting. So, let's take it for what it's worth. This must be true, then, because Jesus said it. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer, the more aggressive ones, the more powerful demons that are possessing people. They can only come out by prayer, because it is, again, not our power that exercises demons. It is the power of God that does it. So pray that the Lord will give the strength and the ability to do it. 
But before we move on from this story, I want to backtrack a few verses to something that needs to apply to us. And this is one that's near and dear to me. Look at verse 22. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That doesn't sound like a believing statement. If you can do anything. He doesn't know. He doesn't trust that Jesus can do it. And what does Jesus say? If I can, all things are possible to him who believes. Can we believe that? That all things are possible to them who believe? That's hard to fathom even what that means. But if Jesus said it, it must be true. We can do anything through God's power. All things are possible. And perhaps our imaginations are too small sometimes. The amazing things that God can do. And we limit it to our imaginations or our lack of thinking outside the box. God can do wonderful things. And listen to what this man said, and this needs to be us. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So often we don't fully invest in what God says. So often we are halfway doing it, or trusting to a point. There's a limit to how much faith I can have. Once things start going really bad, then I start losing ground, and I start losing faith quick. I start having my doubts. That can't be us. We need to pray constantly for that rebuking of our minds to think that God can't do it. But secondly is pray to God that to help your unbelief. We all need it. We all stray it from time to time. We all have doubts. But we need to trust God, and we need to get help for our unbelief. Because our unbelief is great. So great, we probably don't even recognize how bad it is. Do you think Jesus, in the end of chapter 9, really cares about children? He very much does. He loves kids. And he has a special command for people who purposely try to deceive or abuse children. And I take great offense to anything like that. In fact, you think of these things nowadays like gender mutilation or drag queen story hour and all this sexual stuff that's being thrust upon young children. This verse comes straight into my mind in verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he, was been, he had been cast into the sea. That's how serious Jesus takes it. You mess around with these little kids and you corrupt them and, or you tell them that God isn't real and you're stupid for thinking that. There's a special punishment for you. It will be better if Somebody drowned you in the sea with a large stone around your neck. You have no idea the severity of the punishment coming to you. As the old saying goes, it's not a biblical statement, but it's true in this case. There's a special place in hell for people like you. So we need to be disgusted 
by that stuff. We need to hate what God hates, and God hates that stuff. So when is it going to reach the point where we're like Jesus, going to the temple, flipping tables over, and making a whip of cords to get people out of there? Enough is enough, guys. When are we going to put our foot down in the world around us and stand up for what's right? Being silent on the sidelines, knowing it's there but doing nothing about it, is not good enough. I feel so convicted about that lately. We don't do enough as Christians to combat the evil in this world. For fear of persecution, fear of unpopularity, fear of rebuke, fear of rejection, fear of being inconvenienced, you name it. We can make up all sorts of excuses why we can't do it. But we need to be better than that. God is depending on us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us involved in this activity. And he's counting on us to do this. If not, he'll get you out of the way. He'll put someone else in that spot. So it's better to go with him willingly rather than being tossed to the side. We don't want to be tossed to the side with God. And the last thing to talk about is at the end of chapter 10, it mentions Bartimaeus, the blind man, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew said that there was two guys. Why is there such a different account of this miracle? Just because one says there's only one guy and the other one says there's two guys doesn't make it wrong. One maybe only knew about the one guy or just wanted to focus on Bartimaeus. And Matthew saw two because he was more literal. So don't get into that mode where, oh, the Bible's contradictory. Don't be that person that looks for reasons to try to disprove the Bible because you will be failing that every time. Well, look, it's a contradiction. No, it's not. You just have to read between the lines a little bit. Sometimes the truth is right there. It's just not so clearly stated. It's implied, heavy implication on that. So don't get hung up on details like that. God's word is completely true. And I'd be willing to bet my life on that. And that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.